Well, it is so good to have each and every one of you here. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It is called The Art of Healthy Relating. And it's about relationships. How do we have healthier relationships with one another? Earlier this week, a friend of mine asked me, why are we doing a series on relationships? What inspired you guys to, to do this series on relationships? And I told him, it's because during this pandemic, it's that not just people who are getting sick and in some cases dying, but during this pandemic, people's relationships are getting sick and in some cases dying. Over the past couple weeks, we looked at some stats, and one of the stats we talked about is how there was a national study that was done a few months ago that said, that in Canada, approximately 5 million people have experienced some kind of breakup in their relationships since the pandemic began. 5 million people. That's a lot of breakups. That's I'm through, we're done, it's over, I quit, I'm leaving. You know, over and over, 5 million times. That's a lot of breakups going on. And see, here at Thrive, we want to see people healthy. Not just physically healthy, but emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, and relationally healthy. And that's why we're doing this series called The Art of Healthy Relating. Talking about different keys to experiencing a new horizon in your relationships. And today, you know, we're continuing that series. And let me tell you that this series is not just for married couples, although we talk a lot about marriage because it tends to be one of the more complicated of relationships that there is. But if you just want to have better relationships with people at home, better relationships with people at work, you want to be more healthy in the way you relate to others, then this series is for you. And if you happen to have a question about relationships specifically that you want to ask, you can always send us your questions on a no-name basis. You can send it to us at going, by going to mythrive.info or you can text us at 604-285-5770. And in case we don't get to your question today, we're hoping over the next several weeks that at some point we're going to be doing a Q&A where we're going to hopefully address at least some of your questions as we talk about relationships together. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's talk about relationships. Let's talk about relationships. Let's get out in the open. Let's get real about relationships today. Let me begin with telling you a story as we begin episode three of the art of healthy relating. See, growing up, I used to hate hearing my parents fight. Fortunately, my parents didn't fight all the time, but like any couple, my parents had their share of disagreements. And if I had to be really frank with you, nothing made me sadder as a kid. Nothing stressed me out more as a kid than seeing my parents not getting along for an extended period of time. And I remember I was about maybe nine or 10 years old when my parents were in the season where they were arguing quite a bit and having this heated discussion, this heated argument. And I thought, you know what? Enough. I need to step in and help them out. And so you know what I did? I got a legal pad of paper. I went into the room where they were having this very heated conversation. I'm like, Dad, Mom, can you follow me, please? <laughs> and I took, I took them to my sister's room, and I had two chairs set up for them. And I sat on the bed, and I said, Mom, can you tell us, what, what are you feeling? What, what's going on with you? And then I gave her a few minutes to, sit, to share her piece, and I was writing notes. I was like, mm-hmm, okay, yes, mm-hmm. And like, Dad, what do you think? What do you have to say? And my dad started talking. I'm trying to take notes. I'm trying to you know, be as diplomatic as I can, try to be a mediator between the two. But just over a few, of course, a few minutes, they started arguing and shouting again. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so frustrating. I, I don't know if I'm helping at all. I ran out of the room. I ran into my own room. I plopped myself on the bed. I just started crying on my pillow. And you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my room, I've got my face buried in my pillow, and I was crying so much that day, I still remember this, so much tears were coming out of my eyes, so much stuff was coming out of my nose and mouth, that it's, it's kind of funny and kind of gross, you're allowed to laugh, that all this stuff started to gel together, all this face juice started to gel together, such that after about an hour, I could sit up and the pillow, the pillow was stuck to my face. <laughs> and it took my parents to have to help me get that thing, get the, get the face juice off of my face, and, and remove the pillow off of my face, and hopefully that helped them to laugh a little bit that day. But why do I mention that? That was a messy day. Why do I mention that? It's because sometimes relationships can get messy. And in particular, sometimes conflicts in relationships can get particularly messy, to the point where sometimes we don't really know what is the wise, healthy, productive thing to do when you're in a conflict. And that is why today, the message I'm here to share with you in key number three of our series called The Art of Healthy Relating is the importance of healthy communication when you're in a conflict. We're talking today about healthy communication. Turn your name and say healthy communication. How do you communicate with your loved one in a healthy way when you're not getting along? See, maybe you grew up in a home where the people in your home didn't fight that often, but when they did, oh, was it explosive. 
There was a lot of banging and shouting and screaming. It felt like an earthquake had hit the home. Maybe that's your situation. Or maybe you grew up in a home where there was a lot of fighting often, maybe even violently. Or maybe a lot of yelling and screaming and name calling and and all this stuff going on. Or maybe you grew up in a home where whenever there was tension, whenever there was a conflict, one person will always run away. They'd maybe leave the house and go away, maybe even overnight or maybe for an extended period of time and you don't really know what's going to happen. Or maybe you grew up in a home where when there was a conflict that people would try to sit down and talk it out together. See, regardless of what kind of conflict resolution culture you may have grown up in at home, the fact is conflict is an inevitable part of any close relationship. And the difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship is not that one never goes through any conflict and the other always goes through conflict, but the difference is in how the two people in that relationship deal with the conflict. And see, the Bible, fortunately, has a lot to teach us about how to deal with conflict in a healthy way. And so I want to approach this topic about healthy communication in a conflict by looking at it from this angle. I want to talk to you about three keys to healthy communication when you're in a conflict. I encourage you to write these three keys down and take some good notes today. It just might help you today. Key number one, if you want to be good at communicating when you're in a conflict, here's key number one you can write down. Slow down and search your heart. Slow down and search your heart. See, why is it important to slow down and search your heart when you're in a conflict? That's because when you are heated and you are riled up and you're upset and you're emotional, it is easy to lose control. It is easy to lose control and to start not really thinking about what you're saying and what you're doing and end up regretting it later. It's easy to you know, only make the situation worse by the things that we say or do when we're not thinking straight. And so that's why it's so important to slow down and search your heart. Otherwise, we might just make the situation worse and cause the conflict to be even harder to resolve. And so before jumping into an argument, you want to slow down, calm down, and give yourself enough time to take a deep breath, search your heart before you do or say anything. Amen? Amen? Turn your neighbor and say, slow down and search your heart. See, one thing that my wife Charlene and I will sometimes do whenever we're you know, going through some kind of conflict is that we'll give each other time to think it through before we talk it out. And see, Charlene, she's a much faster thinker than me. She's a very fast thinker. I'm quite a slow thinker. And so she will usually need a lot less time to think something through before she's ready to talk about it than me. And so we'll still give each other time. Not too much time. We don't say, okay, I'll see you next year on this. No, but we'll give each other a little bit of time. In fact, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, you want to be quick at resolving disputes. You don't want to let them linger. Don't want to let them fester. Don't want to just sweep things under the carpet and pretend nothing happen, but you want to resolve those issues soon. And so we'll give each other a little bit of time. And sometimes we'll say, okay, I'll see you at 4 p.m. and we'll talk about it. And you know, we'll, we'll have a, a little bit of time to, to gather our weapons. I'm kidding, not gathering our weapons, but we'll, we'll see each other for a showdown at 4 p.m. Cowboy hats on. No, I'm kidding. We're just basically getting together and saying, okay, this is the time when we're going to talk and really focus in on talking this out. And see, as part of slowing down and searching my heart, before I talk to the person I'm in a conflict with, one thing I'll try to do is I'll try to talk to God first. That's one of the awesome things of having Jesus in your life is that you have one more person you can go to that you should go to even before you talk to the person you're in a conflict with. And see, one of the things I'll do is I'll go to God first. And one prayer that I'll often pray is this, God, give me the right heart and the right perspective to face these circumstances. Give me the right perspective to see this situation, to see it a little bit more the way you see it. So that rather than being caught up in my own feelings and my own opinions, I want to pray to God and say, God, how do you want me to see this situation? It's about slowing down and searching your heart. In fact, there was a study that was done just very, very recently, but were hundreds of couples, married couples, who had reported going through some major struggles in their relationship. They all came together. All these different couples, they were in the past year reporting that they had you know, decreased levels of intimacy, decreased levels of trust, decreased levels of commitment and passion in their relationship. And they all came together. And what they did, the study, they divided them into two big groups. One group, they said, okay, over the next four months, whenever you have a disagreement, we want you to write down everything you're thinking and feeling. 
Write down everything from your point of view. What do you think happened? You know, what do you think is supposed to happen? Why, how do you feel in this? Everything you're thinking and feeling. That's the first group. And then they told the second group some different instructions. They said, okay, second group, over the next four months, whenever you and your partner get into a disagreement, we want you to do this. Is we want you to write down what you think a neutral party who wants the best for both of you would want for you. What would they say? So instead of not just think of your perspective, but think of, almost imagine there's a neutral party who loves you both, who wants the best for both of you. What would that person say about what's happening between the two of you? What would that person recommend as a solution for the two of you? And so for the next four months, these two groups did exactly that. One group just wrote down everything they were thinking and feeling. The other group thought, okay, what, is a, what would a neutral third party say about this if they wanted the best for both of us? And when they looked at the results, they found it was pretty astounding that the second group that kind of thought about, okay, well, how would a neutral third party who loves us both and wants the best for both of us, how would they describe the situation? That group experienced a lot less anger and distress over the next four months. They experienced a lot less disagreements. When they had disagreements, they could work it out a lot more quickly. There was a lot less yelling, a lot less name calling, a lot less threats, a lot less insults, and a greater desire to reach a solution together and ultimately more satisfaction in their marriage. And see, psychologists have come to now call this emotional reappraisal. It's the idea that you're looking at your emotional situation from a different angle, reappraising it, not just thinking of how you feel and what you think, but you're trying to really look at it from the perspective of a neutral third party who wants what's best for both people. And see, you know, before psychologists were ever talking about emotional reappraisal, guess what the Bible is saying? It was talking about the importance of going to God, who's a neutral third party, who loves you and wants the best for you so that you can have a different perspective on your conflict. Psalm 139, 23, 24 says this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, healthy communication begins not with how you speak or how you listen. It begins with how you see. Can I say that again? Healthy communication doesn't begin with how you speak or how you listen. It actually begins with how you see, how you see the situation that's in front of you, and in particular, how you see the person that you're in the conflict with. Because if you see that person as a nuisance, as a troublemaker, as an enemy, as a distraction, then guess what? You're gonna communicate to that person in a certain way. It's gonna come out in the way you communicate with them, in the way you talk to them, in the way you listen to them. If you see this person that you're in a conflict with as this very small and inferior to you or just dumb, you know what's going to happen? You're going to talk down to that person. You're going to dismiss that person and everything they say, even before you've had a chance to really understand it. If you see this person as attractive, as a potential mate, you're like, hello, sweetheart. You know, you're, you're, It's going to come out, whether you even think about it or not, it's going to come out in the way you communicate with them. Or if you see this person as important and worthy of respect, it'll come out in the way that you talk to them. It'll come out in the way you listen to them. As Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And see, in other words, how you see that person in your heart will determine how you communicate with them. That's because healthy communication doesn't just begin with how you listen or how you speak. It begins with how you see. Now, for those of us here who call yourselves Christians, who call yourselves followers of Jesus, let me ask you a question. How are we to see the people that we meet in life? How are we to see the people in our home, strangers, anyone we meet? We are called to see them regardless of their background, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of what they do. We are called to see every person as valuable to God, made in God's image, someone that Jesus died for, a sinner who's broken, who needs grace, and someone we ourselves are called to love. Amen? That's how we're called to see every single person, even when we're not getting along with that person. Even if we don't necessarily agree with everything they say or do, we're called to see them as loved by God, valuable to God, someone Jesus died for, a sinner who needs grace, and someone that we are commanded to love. And when you stop and you remind yourself that that is who that person is that you're in a conflict with. They're loved by God. They're precious to God. I'm called to love them. Jesus died for them. Then this is what, this is what happens. The way you see is going to affect how you communicate. You're going to start communicating with that person, hopefully with a little bit more compassion, a little bit more gentleness, a little bit more respect, and a little bit more love. See, sometimes when you're in the heat of the moment, 
in the middle of a tough conflict or a tough conversation, it's easy to forget who you're talking to. And so you want to often remind yourself, regardless of how you feel toward that person in the moment, the person you're speaking to is valuable to God and loved by God, and so are you. Amen? Turn to me and say, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. It's the unconditional love of God. And see, instead of just trying to survive the conversation, trying to get through the conversation, trying to run away from the conversation, you're able to talk to that person and communicate with them in a much healthier way because it all begins with how you see. It begins when you slow down and search your heart. That's the first key to healthy communication. Key number two, if you want to have healthy communication with your loved one when you're in a conflict, write this one down. Number two, be a good listener. Huh? Be a good listener. What? What'd you say? I said, be a good listener. See, why is it important to be a good listener? Now, this might seem so obvious to some of you, but let me just say it anyways. If you don't listen, no one's going to care what you have to say. See, I have a friend who recently changed accountants. And I asked her, so what, what made you decide to change accountants? She said, let me tell you why I changed accountants. It's because my old accountant doesn't listen. It's like, sometimes I'll call this accountant with a question, and as I'm in the middle of explaining the situation, and I haven't fully explained what my question is, he will cut me off, interrupt me, assume he already knows what I'm going to ask, and just start talking about something that has nothing to do with my question. And he does it over and over. My accountant doesn't listen. I've had enough. I'm changing accountants. And see, this accountant is very smart. This accountant is very experienced, but all because this accountant was a poor listener, that accountant lost their relationship with their client, and that client no longer cares what that accountant has to say. It's because when we don't listen well, no one's going to care what we have to say in the end. And see, here's the thing. You cannot maintain healthy relationships without being a good listener. You can't have healthy communication in a conflict without being a good listener. And part of loving people well, part of respecting them, is learning to be a good listener. James 1.19 says it this way. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become, become angry. We often do the opposite. We know the Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We often do the opposite. We are quick to speak, we're slow to listen, and we're fast to get furious, don't we? Aren't Some of you are like, oh, I don't even have to see the movie, The Fast and the Furious, because that's what happens in my home every day. People are so fast to get furious. And see, here's the thing. We are called to be good listeners because it's part of healthy communication. Let me ask you a question. Are you a good listener? Are you a good listener? See, what does it look like to be a good listener? Let me share with you a few things that good listeners do. And you can ask yourself, how many of these things apply to me? You guys ready? Here, let me just give you a few clues of a good listener. The first one, don't keep interrupting, let the person speak. Don't keep interrupting, let the person speak. My friend's accountant could probably use that one. Proverbs 18.13, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. I love the bluntness of that verse. See, interrupting someone, why is it stupid? It's because, like my friend's accountant, you can miss the message even if you already assume the other person, you already know what the other person's gonna say. And so it's kind of silly to do that. Another one is interrupting is rude because you're basically saying whatever you have to say isn't as important as what I have to say. All right? And see, just as you don't like to be interrupted yourself, don't keep interrupting others. That's the first one. Now, here's another one. Give the person your full attention. Show that you are actively listening. Now, this just goes to the practical question of how do you look when you're listening? How do you sound when you're listening to someone else? So here's a few very practical things. When you're listening to someone else, put the phone down, all right? Turn the screen off, turn toward the person and face that person. Maybe you want even want to nod and acknowledge what they're saying when they're saying it because so much of our communication as human beings is nonverbal. And so if you really want to get what the person is saying, pay attention not just to the words they're speaking, pay attention to their body language, pay attention to their posture, their tone of voice. Also, when you actively listen that way, when you use your own body language to show that you are there, you're listening, you're telling the person, you matter to me, that this is important, that you are important to them, and, you are imp and that they're important to you. And see, here's the most important part of being a good listener. It has to do not with your posture, not with you know, you know, anything on the outside that you do. It has to do with your attitude when you listen. Write this down. Don't listen to respond. 
Listen to understand. Don't listen to respond. Listen to understand. Let me, understand. Let me unpack what that means. See, sometimes when Charlene, my wife, and I would argue, both of us would have a lot to say. You know, we're both pastors. And so, you know, I'll have, you know, a three-point sermon. This is reason number one why you're wrong. This is reason number two why you're wrong. This is reason number three. And here are some application points for you. And she'll have her own. She'll have these are three reasons why you are wrong, some application points. Plus, she'll have, because she's so good at Excel, she'll have an Excel, an Excel spreadsheet. And she'll this pie chart shows you just how wrong you are. Right? And so, so we'll have all the stuff to say to each other. Our focus is all about getting our point and our position across. And while the other person is talking, Guess what the other person's doing? Well, doing two things. One is they're listening and going, are you done? Are you done? Are you finished? Is there anything else? Are you done? All right. So, so we're basically waiting for the person to be done so we can start talking again. The, thing, the other thing we'll do is we're, as we're listening to each other, we'll, we'll be picking out little bits and pieces of what they're saying and writing it down almost like in a political debate. Okay, oh, I'm going to harp on this one. Oh, I'm going to harp. And, and you know what? all the while, we, when we fall into that trap, we're not listening to understand We're just listening to respond. And what we're doing is the only reason we're listening is to get more ammo to defend our original possession, but we're not getting any closer to understanding where the other person is coming from. Does that ever happen to you? See, here's the thing. You can go through all the motions of good listening. You can give eye contact, you can nod, you can not interrupt, but if your attitude is, I'm just listening to respond rather than listening to understand, guess what? You're missing the most important part of being a good listener. You wanna keep this in mind. Why is it that we talk so much in an argument? It's actually, at the end of the day, it's not so much because we want to win the argument as much as that's how it seems or on the surface, that's maybe how we feel. We want to prove our point. We want to win the argument. At the end of the day, what we really want is we want to be heard. We want to be understood. Even though the person doesn't even agree, at least to be heard and understood by the other person, that's what we really want. And see, being a good listener is about listening, not to respond, but listening to understand. See, instead of trying to win the argument and prove the other wrong, listening to understand is about, okay, I've got my side to this, but I know you've got your side. Help me to understand your side. You know, listening to understand isn't saying, okay, you know what? I've already got you figured out. I already know everything you're going to say, why bother listening to you? No, listening to understand comes with the attitude, what don't I already know? What can I learn about where you're coming from that I still don't get? You're checking your blind spots. You're, getting, you're, going, you're, you're going at it and saying, okay, there's something I need to learn here. Dr. Gloria Lee, she's a registered psychologist and a counselor and an author on relationships. And she's counseled literally hundreds upon hundreds of married couples over the past 25 years and other couples, you know, engaged couples, dating couples, you know, all those kind of couples. And, and she'll say that she says this about listening to respond. This is what she says. Listening to respond implies that we are simply listening for information to formulate our counter-argument. Our thoughts are informed by personal biases, assumptions, and judgments. We're listening for information so we know how to defend ourselves and prepare what to say next. Anything our partners say is used against them. We are not focused on our partners. Rather, we're focused on protecting ourselves. There is no space to welcome, ponder, and accept what is being spoken. When we listen to respond rather than listen to understand, we set up our relationships for failure. That's listening to respond. On the other hand, look at what is listening to understand. This is what she says. She says, listen to understand involves focusing our entire attention on our partners. We put our assumptions and filters aside so we can truly listen to their words at face value. We silence our inner chatter to make space for curiosity and an open heart. We attune to our partners. We don't assume that we know exactly what our partners are thinking or feeling. We want to hear things from their point of view. We stay curious and ask questions to clarify anything we don't understand instead of reading into the situation and making up our own narratives based on our assumptions and filters. We tune out the noise in our heads and set aside our views so we can better understand our partners, see where they are coming from, and comprehend why they feel the way they do. That's well written. And see, here's the thing. When two people listen to understand, they become closer. When two people listen to understand, they resolve the conflict more quickly. They feel free now to be honest with one another and to share what's on their heart without feeling the fear of being judged or rejected. And in turn, the relationship gets stronger. That's why listening to understand is so important. Turn your name and say, I need to listen to understand. 
I need to listen to understand. Various studies show that when a couple listens intently to one another, there is greater satisfaction in the relationship. There's greater closeness and intimacy because you are taking the time to understand each other and know each other better. And there's nothing about listening to understand. Listening to understand is contagious. Do you know that? Is that when you listen well, it encourages the other person to listen well as well. Here's a question for you. Could it be that the reason why you don't feel that listened to at home is because maybe you're not doing the best job of listening to others too? See, you're going to find that very often the way we listen reflects back at us. And so we want to make sure that we're modeling what it means to listen to understand. Listening to understand is not always easy. It takes practice. It takes work. No one is necessarily a natural at listening to understand. And so if you need work in this area, here are a few things that you do. See, next time you and your loved one are going through some kind of conflict, when, when your loved one is voicing their concern, here's something you do. Resist the urge to defend. Resist the urge to snap back. Resist the urge to deny everything you're saying. No, that's not. Oh, that's not. No, it's not. It's not. No, you, you, listen, you, you, you be quiet and you listen. And you don't run away. You don't deny. You just sit and you listen. And you really try to hear what they're saying. You're listening for their tone, their body language. Try to step inside how they feel and how they see the situation rather than kind of you focusing on your bias or your assumption about who they are. And then after you've heard them, you reflect back. You say, okay, what you're saying is this, is that when I didn't consult you before I made that decision, I made you feel disrespected. Is that what it is? Or you know, when I, feel, I went through orange juice in your face in front of your friends, you know, it was kind of awkward for you. And is that what you're saying? Is that, is it, so basically, it's about listening to understand and to- showing them that you understand by reflecting it back to them. See, listening to respond comes from a place of pride. It's all about I'm right, you're wrong, I win, you lose. But see, listening to understand comes from a place of humility. Is how can we work this out? How can we get closer together? How can we understand and heal and move forward? But JB, what if I don't agree with what they're saying. See, here's the thing. Even if you don't agree, you need to give them room and space and freedom to share from their heart. Because if you don't, intimacy is gone. You don't have to agree with all that they're saying. You don't have to you know, agree with any of what they're saying, but you need to give them the space to share it so that at least you, they know that you understand. You might not agree. You may agree to disagree, but you're giving them the space. You're listening to understand. Luke chapter eight, verse 18 says it this way. It says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. It's so important, not just that you listen, but how you listen. Be careful how you listen and be a good listener. Is this helpful in this place so far? Let me end with key number three when it comes to healthy communication. Number three, use your words wisely. Use your words wisely. Genesis 1 verses one to five. These are the first five verses in the Bible. You may have read them before. Let's read them together right now. What does it say? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. All right, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, obviously the first five verses of the Bible. Let me ask you this question. When God creates the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter one, why does God bother to actually say it out loud? Let there be light, so there's light. Why does he do that? Why does he actually speak it out? Why not just, you know, snap his fingers like Mary Poppins? Oh, there's light. Or, you know, back in the 1980s, there's something called the clapper. Go clap on, clap off. It was this device that would clap on and clap off and that would turn on your lights and turn off your lights. Why not God do that? Or why not just do it in silence? Why actually speak it out and say, let there be light so there is light? I believe that one of the big lessons that God wants to teach us through Genesis chapter one is something about the power of words. You see, the first purpose of language is not communication. The first purpose of language is creation. In other words, just as God changes situations with the power of his word, you are made in God's image. That doesn't mean that you are God. That simply means that you have some qualities that God also has. And you have something which is this. You have the power of a creative word. And what that means is that you have the power through your words to impact your relationships and the atmosphere of your home. And see, in other words, you create your world with your words. 
You create your world with words. If you keep speaking very negative, critical words, guess what your home is gonna be like? It's gonna be a very negative, depressing place to be. You create your world with your words. If you speak very hopeless words all the time, oh, you know, life sucks, you know, I, I, I hate my life, and, and, you, and you keep on complaining, speaking hopeless words, guess what your world is gonna be, especially at home? It's gonna be very, very hopeless. There's creation that happens with our words. You know, but if you make it a point to learn the language of the Bible, the language of God's word, and speak words of faith, words that are positive, words that are full of hope, words that are full of encouragement and wisdom, then guess what? What's gonna happen to your home, your marriage, your friendships, your team that you're on? It'll become a much happier, more peaceful, more joyful place. If you say amen. It's because you create your world with your words. With that in mind, here's a question for you. When you look at your home, your marriage, your family, your closest friendships, your relationships at work, a team that you serve on, what kind of world are you creating with the words that you speak. Proverbs 18.21 says it this way. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, with our words, we can either bring people life or we can bring people death. We can tear people down or we can build people up. And since our words have power to build people up or tear people down, it means we need to be extra careful to use our words wisely. Proverbs 13.3 says it this way. It says, those who guard their lips guard their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. See, what are some ways that when we're in a conflict, we can guard our lips? Here are a few things we can do that I'll suggest to you right now. You can write this down. A few things you can do to be wise with your words when you're in a conflict. Number one, don't exaggerate. Oh, you never think about me. You're always late. You never help out in the house. What is that? That is exaggeration, right? What's the problem with speaking in exaggerations? Because instead of helping the listener understand what the exact problem and concern is, you're making the problem a lot bigger than it actually is. And not just that, you're also, through exaggeration, making the listener angry. Because the moment you start speaking in exaggerations, the listener is going, no, no, that's not the case. I don't, I'm not always late. I, I don't never help in the house. Like, look about, and, and they'll start to want to, you put them on the defensive the moment you start to exaggerate. And so instead of speaking very broad, inaccurate generalizations and exaggerations, you want to be specific. You want to be accurate with the words you use. You can say, when you do this, I feel this. You know, when you didn't eat breakfast that I made this morning, I felt that you take my hard work for granted. You know, when you didn't come home late without telling me in advance, I felt like you don't value my time. You know, that, that's called speaking accurately, being specific. So you give the person that's talking or listening to you at least an idea of what it is that is the issue. Ephesians 4.15 says it this way. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Another one is this. Don't resort to name calling and abusive language. Oh, you're such an idiot. Oh my goodness, how could you be so stupid? You know, or you use sarcasm. Oh yeah, I'm so lucky to be married to you. Oh yeah. And see, when you use name calling or abusive language, you're not helping the situation. In fact, what you're doing is you're making the other person feel that much worse while at the same time revealing a little bit more of what's in your heart and your character. See, part of healthy communication is respecting the worth of the person that you are communicating with even if you're not getting along. Ephesians 4.29 says it this way. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Amen? Good word. Another one, another one is this. Don't raise your voice or get physically abusive. Don't raise your voice. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, I was talking to one friend who said, yeah, like, you know, the moment my husband yells, it's like everything in me shuts down and I can't even think anymore because like, I'm just, I'm scared. I'm feeling insecure. It's kind of like, I wish he wouldn't raise his voice so much. See, one of the most important lessons that you've got, that, 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 that I've learned about communication, especially in marriage, is that it's not just what you say. It's about how you say it. That, that's not just a marriage thing. That's, that's just a relationship thing. That's like a team thing. Whenever you're with someone else, it's not just what you say. It's how you say it that matters so much. You know, whenever, you know, Pastor Shar and I, we would get into some kind of argument, it's amazing how often the argument is not so much about what we said, it's about how we said it. 
And so I want to encourage you, if you're, you know, want to watch how you use your words, watch your tone. Not just what you say, but watch your tone. Watch your timing. Watch your body language. Because it's not just what you say, it's how you say it that counts. Even if it means biting your tongue and thinking twice and taking a few deep breaths, do it if it means you can speak that word a little bit more gently. That's another thing. Don't raise your voice. Don't get physically abusive. Another one, don't judge before you understand the situation. Oh, Amen. Don't judge before you understand the situation. We've covered this already in some ways, so I won't go into detail, but that also includes don't compare your loved one to someone else's loved one. Well, his wife does that for him, or, or, or you know what, or look, at, look at you, why can't you be more like him? Why can't you, and here's the thing, that's, that's very likely an unfair comparison. You're comparing one thing to another when they're actually quite different. And see, see, here's the thing, we don't wanna judge something before we understand it. Proverbs 18, 13 says, what a shame, yes, how stupid to decide before knowing the facts. Next one, this is especially for married couples. Don't threaten divorce. Don't threaten divorce. Why not, JB? If that's the way I feel, why can't I say it? When you threaten divorce and you say, I'm through, we're done, I'm leaving, I quit. What happens when you do that? When you threaten divorce, you escalate the conflict to the highest possible level. And you might be fighting over something relatively smaller, but the moment you mention divorce, you're changing the nature of the fight. You're changing it such that instead of now you know, dealing with the issue that's at hand, now we're dealing with a much bigger issue. Are we going to even be together anymore? And instead of solving the issue, you've just created an even bigger issue. It's like trying to rearrange your living room with an earthquake. That's, there's much easier, better, safer ways to do it than that. See, the moment you say, I want a divorce, what you're doing is you are introducing the worst kind of instability into your marriage, such that you know, it, it's kind of like, are we, are we still together? Are you, are you going to divorce me? Are, are, like, is that, do you mean that? And, and, and it's like there's so much instability the moment you speak those well because you create your world with your words. If you want your spouse and your kids to live in a tremendous amount of insecurity and fear about what's going to happen to them, then threaten divorce. Do, go ahead and do it, but you know what? It's not going to be healthy for your relationships. Malachi 2.16 says it this way. It says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Mark 10.7-9 says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, are there ever biblical reasons for divorce? Yes, there are some. You know, in the case of, adul- of, of adultery, in the case of abandonment, in the case of abuse, where you know, the person you know, you know, engages in that kind of stuff and there's no repentance, all that stuff. You know, unless you are 100% serious about divorce, you have a legitimate biblical grounds for it and you've thought it through, don't mention divorce. Don't mention it. Otherwise, you're just asking for more trouble and more instability in the marriage. Those are a few don'ts when it comes to how to use your words wisely when you're in a conflict. Here are some do's that we should do, all right? Keep this in mind. Write this down. Number one, be quick to affirm the other person. Be quick to affirm the other person. What does that mean? Is even when you're in a conflict, don't be afraid to speak the good things you see in that person. Romans 14, 19 says, so let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other, help others with encouraging words. Is that when you're in the middle of a conflict, you wanna show the other person that you know, it's not all bad, but you know, there's, there's good in this. And you, it's, all, it's like choosing the attitude graduate. It's affirming the good that you see and showing that you are on each other's side. This is not just all about all or nothing, but it's about, you know, there's, what are some good things we can celebrate here as well? Another one is this, be quick to acknowledge the other person's feelings. You know, when, whenever my wife Charlene and I would have a heated conversation, especially early on in marriage, we would be so focused on solving the issue and coming up with a practical solution that sometimes what we'd fail to do is we would fail to acknowledge the other person's feelings. And for some reason, no matter how much we thought it through, talked it out, the conversation would never feel quite complete until one of us reached out and said, aw, poor baby. 
You know, it was like those magic words, aw, poor baby. And we would love to hear that for some reason. Almost, for some reason, just a pat on the back and aw, poor baby. It just meant a lot. Would you turn to your neighbor? If it's appropriate, just go, aw, poor baby. Aw, poor baby. And see, and, and, and see, since then, we've gotten a little bit better. Is that we use other words like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you went through that. That must have been really, really stressful. Or, you know, thank you for going through all of that. You know, I didn't realize that it was such a stressful thing and so frustrating. You know, that, that's, that's about acknowledging the other person's feelings. Well, you may think, well, but JB, it's, it's not about the feelings. It's about just coming up to a solution. Let's, let's not think of the past. Let's just move forward. Let's just, just come up with a solution. Let's just move on. Here's the thing you ought to understand. When you're in a conflict and this person is your loved one, and that person shares their feelings with you in a very open way, they're going to come with that some invisible, hidden questions. And those questions include, do you understand how I feel? Those questions include, is it okay for me to feel this way? It's, you know, do you still care about me and love me despite the way that I feel? And see, these questions will be on that person's mind so much that like an untied shoelace, you're going to find it is really tough to move on without dealing with it first. And so when you acknowledge that person's feelings, you're saying, yes, your feelings matter. Yes, you matter. I understand and I care about you. See, that doesn't mean you agree with that person's stance on everything, but it means you care about the person, you acknowledge that person's feelings. Don't try to solve the issue without dealing with the feelings, because in many ways, the feelings are the issue. So acknowledge the feelings. First Peter 3, 8 says it this way. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Next one, we're almost done. Be quick to admit when you're wrong. You know, the first piece of marriage advice I ever got, I remember I was, you know, just minutes away from, you know, saying I do. We're at the church building. We're in a room with my groomsmen, my best man. And, you know, some of them were already married. So I asked them, so any, any last minute marriage advice for me before I do this? And they, they, there's two of them who looked at each other. They looked at me. They looked at each other, looked at me. And they said, always remember the most, the three most important uh, words in marriage. Always remember the three most important words in marriage. That's all. Oh, and I, I tell Charlene, I love her all the time. You know, I love you. I love you. I, I, I get, no, 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 no. You're like, you silly, silly, silly newlywed. He said, the, most, the three most important words in marriage are not I love you. It's I am sorry. Or it's my fault. Or sorry, my bad. Or 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 whatever you want to say. You know, whatever language you say. But you want to say those three most important words, which is admitting when you're wrong. And see, here's the thing. While some things we do can escalate a fight, you know, when we exaggerate, it escalates the fight. When we threaten empty threats, it escalates the fight. When we name call, it escalates the fight. When you sincerely apologize for your part, it actually disarms. It has, a, it has this effect of bringing the conflict to a lower, lesser level. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So in other words, even if the other person you think is 95% wrong, or it's 95% that person's fault, and you are 5% wrong, or you're 5% at fault, you still want to acknowledge your part and say, I admit to this, and I'm sorry. That's called humility. Another one, be quick to forgive. We don't have time to unpack forgiveness. Forgiveness is huge. A lot of people misunderstand what forgiveness is. At Thrive Disciple School Level 2, we unpack it in a lot of deep ways and allow you to experience more of that. But here's the thing, is that you need to forgive because life is way too short to keep hanging on to bitterness, to keep hanging on to grudges. When you forgive, it's not you helping the person that hurt you so much as it's helping yourself so that you can move on, so you don't have to live in the past. You can keep on going and move on and go forward with that relationship or, or you know, it's just something where you can move on yourself. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Last thought on how to be wise with your words. You can write this down. Choose your battle wisely. Not everything is worth fighting for. And nowadays, whenever I officiate weddings, often the advice I give to the, newly, the newlyweds, the bride and the groom is this. Be quick to admit when you're wrong. Be quick to forgive when you're wronged. And be quick to move on when it doesn't have anything to do with right or wrong. In other words, there's going to be some issues that are just not worth dwelling on, not worth fighting over. And it takes wisdom to know the difference between what you need to dwell on and what you should just move on with. Proverbs 20, 19, 11 says this, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. See, this is the importance of healthy communication in a conflict. It really boils down to three things, how you see, how you listen, and how you speak. 
is that we want to search your heart. Slow down and search your heart so you make sure you're seeing the right way. You want to listen. Be a good listener. And number three, how you speak. How you can be wise with your words so that you can do good and not harm with the words that you speak. You know, during the series called The Art of Healthy Relating, I've tried to show you guys something artistic with each episode, just for fun. And in episode one, I showed you two drawings that my wife and I made, uh, which were not very good, but we showed it to you. It was some kind of art, abstract art, I guess. Uh, You know, in episode two, I showed you a tower of champagne cups. We did something cool with that in episode two. Today, I thought I'd show you something else that I've had for a long time, but I've never shown anybody. Uh, Check out this diamond right here. Look at that. Look at this. Is that kind of nice? Yeah. For those of you who are maybe thinking about proposing to that special someone, you know, this coming season, this coming year, uh, you know, I, I'd be happy to sell this one to you if you'd like. You know, in the chat room, any takers? A hundred bucks? hundred bucks? How, can I get two hundred? Two hundred? How about a thousand? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not auctioning this off right now. Uh, by the way, this one doesn't require a ring. It requires like a bracelet, right? It's so big. But how uh, many know that this, this diamond is not real? In fact, they say professionals will tell you that if you use a heat-conducting diamond tester, which applies heat and pressure to this gem, that you'll find that it's not a real diamond. And why do I mention that? It's because as much as we don't like conflict, as much as we don't like the heat of being in an argument, the fact is that arguments, conflicts, fighting, whatever you want to call it, disagreements, they put pressure and heat on a relationship in a way that tends to reveal the quality of the relationship. You know, I, I once dated a girl where we didn't fight at all, but the one fight we had was the last fight we ever had. We, never, we, we didn't just never fight again. We never were together again. It's because you know, that one fight was enough to snap that relationship. Whereas you know, I look at my wife, Charlene, we've been married for 19, almost 19 years now. And you know, we've had more you know, disagreements and heated conversations than I can remember, but she's still the love of my life. She's still my best friend. I think she would say the same. And it goes to show this, is that conflicts, the heat of a conflict, doesn't just have a way of revealing the strength of your relationship. If you let it, it can also refine your relationship. You can use it to actually make you guys better partners for another if you would be committed to responding in healthy ways, if you would be committed to responding and communicating in healthy ways, especially in a conflict. Maybe today you realize that this message is for you. And maybe you're here and you realize that uh, you know, you're kind of new to church. Maybe you've never been to church before. Uh, maybe you're kind of coming in from a different religious background or no background at all, and you're just kind of curious. We're so thrilled that you're here. And if you found this message helpful and you want to kind of know what, what's my next step in all of this, can I give you this suggestion and this encouragement? Is that if you want to have healthy communication with your loved ones in a conflict, if you want to resolve conflicts in a healthy way, the best thing you can do, the first conflict you need to resolve is not the one with your spouse or with your child or with your parent or with your sibling or with your coworker or with your boss. The number one conflict that you first need to resolve is the one between you and God. You see, the Bible describes us as loved by God, but for a long time, enemies of God. The idea that when we you know, had the choice to either love God or not love God, we decided to do things our way. We made, we made the wrong choices. We've done things, said things, thought things that we know weren't what, are not what God wanted us to do. Those are, that's called sin. And the Bible says that sin separates us from a holy, perfect God, such that we can't have anything to do with God. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, because of our sin, we can't have anything to do with God now in, on earth or later in eternity but because God loved us, because he made us to have a relationship with him and didn't want to be in eternity without us. God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. When the wages of our sin was death, Jesus died, not because he sinned, but he died so that we could be forgiven. And when, he, we, when, when we invite Jesus Christ to forgive us for our sins, we receive a forgiveness that we could never earn by being a good person or trying to do good because it's a perfect forgiveness that God wants to give us. And not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but even more, on the third day after he was buried, he rose again from the grave to show that you can place your complete trust in what Jesus says, that he's no, just not oh, some ordinary person, but he is who the Bible tells us he is. He is the son of God. And so with that in mind, if you want to be healthy in the way you resolve conflicts, it all begins with first resolving 
the conflict you had with God because it all flows from your relationship with God. And if you know, you realize that you haven't really resolved that conflict yet, you've never asked Jesus for his forgiveness, then we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. It's as simple as praying a prayer. And just so that you have something to read and a a helpful reference for how to do this next step of praying a prayer to, to ask Jesus into your life and receive his forgiveness, you can click the link that's in your chat room. You can scan the QR code that's on your screen. It'll take you to a prayer uh, that's on a different page. And, and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna ask you to do this is to read that prayer with me. Uh, so that you're not doing this alone. I'm gonna read this prayer with you. And those of you who've prayed this prayer before, I encourage you to pray it with those who are praying for the first time. If you realize you need that, why don't you scan that QR code? Why don't you click, click that, 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 that link in your chat room and let's read this prayer. Let's, re- let's say this prayer together as a way to receive the forgiveness that Jesus made possible so that our conflict with God could be resolved and there could be peace in our relationship with God. And so with that in mind, if that's you, why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? Those who need to pray this prayer, don't hesitate to pray it. You can just say this from your heart. Say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, did you pray that prayer? If you meant that prayer, then guess what? According to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. It's that easy because it's not based on who, what you've done. It's based on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And if that's you, big congratulations. Can we give a big hand to those who prayed that prayer just now? That is amazing. And we've got some special gifts to give you. Go to the bottom of that page with that prayer on it. There's some gifts we'd love to send you. On top of that, we encourage you to keep coming to church. Every baby needs a family to grow up in. We'd love to be your spiritual family. On top of that, we encourage you to get baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. It's you simply saying, I know that Jesus died on the cross for me and I've received the gift of his forgiveness. I believe he died for me and he rose again. If that's you, go to mythought.info. We'd love to help you with baptism. More information on that, go to mythought.info for that. Hello everyone, welcome to Thrive Church. We're so glad that you're here. I've been enjoying the Art of Healthy Relating message series so much and I hope you've enjoyed your time with us today as well. My name is Marizal and I will spend a few minutes to go through some announcements with you and what's coming up here at Thrive. If this is your first time visiting us, we would love to connect with you. We want to give you a Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle to thank you for spending your time with us. Simply visit mythrive.info and click New to Thrive or text NEW to 604-285-5770. We will mail the water bottle straight to your mailing address. We are so excited for those of you who prayed the prayer with Pastor JB earlier to receive Jesus today. We understand you might still have questions so we want to send you a series of videos recorded by Pastor JB and Pastor Charlene that may answer some of your questions about Christianity. Other than the videos, we also have a beautiful Thrive mug and a Starbucks air gift card just for you. So if you've received Jesus today, let us know by texting BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or by visiting mythrive.info and click I want to ask Jesus into my life. There's a simple form for you to fill out at the bottom of the page. Please fill it out and we will mail the gift package to you as soon as possible. Here at Thrive, we believe that God made us to experience life with each other. But it's tough to get close to one another when we're always in a crowd. That's why at Thrive, we encourage everyone to be part of a small group. In a small group, you can share your joys and struggles. You can encourage others and be encouraged. You can also hang out and have fun together. It's a perfect way to get connected here at Thrive. Signing up for a small group is very easy. Simply visit mythrive.info and click join the small group. Let's experience life together. Last but not least, 2021 donation tax receipts has been sent out this past week. Thank you for all your generous offerings this past year. Your giving and your partnership with Thrive has enabled us to fulfill the vision and the mission which God has called us to. If you didn't receive the donation tax receipt or have any questions, please email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. That is all for the announcements this week. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info. 
Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday here at Thrive Church Online at 9.30am and 11.30am. Stay blessed.